Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-N on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. I just want to get to a couple quick texts before we bring in Jack Michaels. It's 133 in Edmonton. Bob, it baffles me when people whine about athlete salaries. The only reason why they're that high is because what uh, we, the fan, are willing to pay uh, to support that wage. Um, another text comes in saying overcoming a pandemic is a challenge. However, overcoming an economic collapse can be worse. We have to move and get people working again. Another texter says put some fans in the seats, even at 25% capacity. Maybe they could work out a grid for the arena where there's adequate physical distancing, then fill uh, them with season ticket holders first and put the rest up for sale. Again, you can text us at uh, 780-496-0063. Uh, final one from former defenseman Mark. Reasonably good interview with Bill Daly. To the listeners who think uh, we shouldn't open up, you're entitled to your opinion. If the NHL progresses without fans, the players will be taking a 25 to 40% pay cut. The only way around that is with a massive increase to the U.S. national TV contract. That cut would be necessary in the short term, the length of which will only be determined by how bad the ticket-buying public uh, have been and continue to hurt from the various lockdowns. So uh, lots of different perspectives out there. Jack Michaels joins us right now. Jack, how are you doing? Good, Bob. How are you? Good. We didn't have a lot of time uh, with Bill Daly, and I would say that he was uh, – cautious to the situation and probably didn't want to reveal or say too much just because we're still in the embryonic stages of dealing with this. Uh, I don't know if you heard the interview. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, he's in the same boat we all are, Bob. I mean, I, that's the, the confounding thing about this pandemic is I'm not sure how much we know about the virus. I'm not sure how much, you know, it's easy to sit there and take someone's side, but I the problem I find, Bob, through all this is I'm not sure those even espousing a certain point of view knows exactly what his or her are talking about. And I don't blame those people. It's just, for me, I, I haven't seen a great deal about this virus that we know. I've only seen what we don't know. <laughs> well, we, we know some of the numbers, Jack. I mean, you live up yeah, no, sure. the I mean, the numbers are pretty significant. In certain right. aspects, and it's also even, but even how you present the numbers can be looked at it in a wide variety of ways. I, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is is just not knowing in terms of its, you know, transmission ability. Because I I think the healthy people who have gotten this virus will tell you you don't want to get it. I mean, it is so. You know, it's just one of those things where. I think Bill is uh, probably, again, in a long line of people that's cautious about what he says because he's not quite sure, you know, if there's still some unknowns to be resolved before any of this is able to move forward. We have, you know, ranges of opinion, Jack, from people saying we can't do anything till we have a vaccine. That's it. No, nothing. Everybody's got to stay at home. To people turning around saying, you know, my personal freedoms are being totally encroached upon. 
and we got to open it up before we kill it. I mean, that's the range that's out there. You know that, like, you look at Sherrod Park, where you live, I believe there's two active cases in right. the county of Strathcona. Uh, I'm in what what's considered Twin Brooks. There's, the last time I checked, two active cases in this district. I mean, it's, you know, and, and the totals from yesterday, 1,200 tests done in Edmonton, one positive test. So that bodes well, but as you mentioned, I mean, it, things can change quickly. All right, let's get to the hockey stuff because I have a feeling it might be... Uh, I know we put out there... I put out there yesterday, and then you and Dave Campbell both followed up with some thoughts. Uh, it was the anniversary, April 30th, uh, of the Steve Smith goal back in 1986. One of the toughest losses in Oilers history... I would assert, for me personally, I think that is the toughest loss all time uh, just because it kind of short-circuited what could have been, you know, uh, maybe a, a five-year run of uh, Stanley Cup championships. That said, the Oilers did win five in seven years, and I love Steve Smith to this day as a guy for what he was able to overcome. Uh, you and me both worked one of the toughest losses in team history, but I'd like to get your thoughts on, on, on a few of your toughest losses. Well, I think our, our top three or four would probably look much the same. I think, uh, you know, again, it, it's a little difficult for me to answer because had I lived here in 1986 and been, you know, just, you know, a preteen, I'm sure I would have been devastated to the point where I would view it in a certain way as opposed to, you know, from the outside looking in, all right, well, it was a blip in, in five years of, you know, it denied potential five-peat, but who's to say maybe, you know, 86 didn't set up 87 to some degree. You never know whether, right. you know, there's less hunger, there's less factors involved if, if you do win three in a row. So there's all kinds of things. I, I guess when I look at it is it was game seven of the second round. Now, I think it's a pretty strong possibility that the winner of that series, now, as it turned out, I mean, Montreal beat Calgary. I, I don't think Montreal would have beaten uh, would, have, would have beaten the Edmonton Oilers. I think that both the 86 and 93 Habs teams, uh, I would assert to you, are, are two of the weaker champions in the last 35 years. But, you know, again, uh, because it's the second round, I would I would slightly lean towards Game Seven in 2006. Even though Edmonton was an underdog and was the last team in and all that kind of stuff, you go all that way and you get to Game Seven, and especially with a you know just a feel good story of the whole vibe. I mean, uh, you know the, the Pisani goal in Game Five. I remember Game Six in the 2000 or Game Six in the 2006 final ended much the way game six of the second round ended for us, Bob, when when you and I were, were doing the Anaheim game in the sense that the crowd just kind of took over the last minute and a half. That's what I remember about game six and 06. So uh, when you're when you're one, when you're three periods away from the championship, to me, that's that's the toughest loss. But but definitely uh, the two games you and I were talking about in terms of game seven and 86 and history, I mean, NHL history, it's been done once in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it happened at the expense of the Edmonton Oilers, and that would be 2017. And, and I've got some personal bias in there to put it in the top three. I'll concede that every day. 
All right, well, we'll get to that game. Just on the 86th thing, Edmonton and Montreal did play the following fall and dress their best lineups, and the Oilers destroyed them in a Prime Minister's game, preseason game that was played in Ottawa, and the Oilers came to play. Um, The Oilers would not have lost the Habs in eight. They would not have lost. And that's part of the reason, Bob, you and I had some friendly conversation. You know, I think one thing our audience doesn't realize, or your audience doesn't realize, is some of our best conversations come off the air. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I, I think how quickly we forget what kind of a career Patrick Waugh had in Montreal is I would assert to you he was better in Montreal than he ever had to be or was in Colorado. Oh, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no question. Two of the weaker champions in the last 35 years of the Stanley Cup. Still don't like him, but there's no question about that. Well, uh, I, I, I'm no fan of him either, but you can't deny what he did. No, uh, I, just a quick hit on 06. I will maintain. I mean, the Oilers lost in seven. I, I, I look at that group and I think they got everything they could have out of that team. Uh, the only, it's funny, Chris Pronger brought it up in Spitting Chicklets about the rotation of the backup goalies. And I'm here to tell you, and I, I know we got the Ward family, they might be listening to the show. Carolina doesn't win that series if Dwayne Rolson doesn't get hurt. Edmonton wins that series because they don't blow, you know, the, the their turnover on the the five four goal in game one. To me, that was almost as tough. I was in the building, as you know, for game five and game seven. Um, I just looked at what the orders brought and said, "Man, you guys played as well as you could have. There wasn't much to, you know, and it, it sucked to lose, and you got that close." But you did a hell of a job, and you just didn't get the right breaks at the right time. Now, to 2017, your personal bias, because I'm accused of, oh, Bob, here you go again, you know, chirping about, you know, the orders get. There was the, uh, the Montreal. I did like your comment this morning. Some would suggest Taylor Hall should be on there. I enjoyed that. That we'll was get to, stopper. We'll get to you that in a second. Bob, I- well, just hold on, Jack, 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 just hold on. The Montreal, you're a wrestling fan. The Montreal screw job for Bret Hart. What about the Anaheim screw job for the Edmonton Oilers in 2017? Well, you and I have slightly different feelings on this. I, look, it was it was goaltender interference. I, I, I think it was. I, okay. I absolutely do. Having said that, you're up 3 nothing with three and a half to go. Fair comment. Uh, I, it, why is it 3-2 with a minute to go? I just, that game should have been closed out. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes an official's call decides the game. And sometimes you put yourself in a position where you make it tough on an official. And in that building, with the mood in that building, and I remember saying it on the air at the time, I don't see this being overturned. I just don't. Uh, I don't know whether the decision would have been different had we been in Edmonton, but I just felt at that time I didn't see that getting overturned. I think it was goaltender interference, but I also think the Oilers should have closed that game out. Never should have gotten to that point. Yeah, there were some liberties earlier in the game. Uh, you know, Sacra got knocked out of a series in that game. Russell got knocked out of a game five for a period. Anaheim was really physical. Anyhow, let's move on. Uh, you brought up t- uh, TSN. Uh, they've done it for all seven teams. It's a terrific concept. Minimum 225 games played. I I, I really like their team. I, the only thing for me is, you know, I, I certainly got response from people suggesting that uh, – Taylor Hall should be on the team as a left wing. 
maybe at Ryan Smith or Craig Simpson spot, but you know what? It's hard to argue with Simpson's playoff performances for the Oilers. I like that Hemsky was on the team, and I felt for Doug White, but when Connor McDavid, Wayne Gretzky, and Mark Messier are your top three centers, and you're having a check and center for fourth line, it's tough to have White on the team. So that's my take. Give me your thoughts. Well, my take is I, I don't think Ryan Smith's a first-line player on most teams. I think uh, there is a body of work at left wing for Mark Messier uh, in the neighborhood of 400 games. Uh, you can adjust those figures for me somewhat, Bob, if you need to, but I believe he was an all-star in 83 at left wing. I believe he wasn't really moved to center on any kind of permanent basis until – uh, right before or entering the 1984 playoffs. So he's got enough of a body of work as a left winger for me to move Messier to first-line left wing, drop Smith to second, Simpson to third. Leon Dreisaitl, in my recollection, though I didn't look it up, I think he's played more minutes, significantly more minutes as a right winger than he has as a left winger. So I'd move Leon Dreisaitl over to the right side, and I would slide McDavid up into the top six as your second-line center and put Doug Waite as your third-line center because I would suggest to you, and I haven't lived here, so I'm, I'm going to defer to you on this, but among non-cup-winning Oilers, I believe Doug Waite is the second-most beloved player behind Ryan Smith in this community. Well, it, it amazes me at times that when you talk most popular players, that there are people that would vote for Ryan Smith ahead of Wayne Gretzky or Connor McDavid. I, I said non-cup winners. Right, yeah. Like, uh, and, and, I mean, McDavid's an obvious. I'm just saying in terms yeah. of that second tier, I have been, I, I've, I've been, you know, both with Ryan Smith and Doug Wade. I mean, those are two players that mean a lot to Edmonton. I, I've just found that, and Doug Wade, if you look at the numbers, I think Doug Waite deserves to be on the team as a third-line center, and I believe you're not cheating the criteria to an egregious standpoint to slide Messier over to left wing. He, it's, I mean, the only reason Messier isn't thought of as like a you know a half and halfer is because, of course, he went on to play another 13, 1400 games. If he had, had a normal career, like playing say twelve hundred or thirteen hundred. You know, all of a sudden his games at wing stack up, but he just, you know, we, we all think of him as a center. I think of him as a center. I'm not trying to say that he he's a left winger, but he has enough of a body of work that I got to find a way to get Doug Wade on the team. So that's the one change I made. Yeah, and again, I think their team's quite defensible. I mean, your your position. Oh, I, yeah, I told- absolutely. I'm making one change. I'm taking yeah. Hemsky off and putting Wade on, and I'm juggling the lineup in a way that I still think meets the criteria. Yeah, I mean, I had some people say, well, Bob, shouldn't Sean Horkoff or Jarrett Stoll be on the team instead of Craig McTavish? Because they were, compl- like, you look at what uh, Stoll's role was with the, Anna- or with the LA Kings when they won the two Cups. He was a shutdown center for that team, but he was in a slightly different role. But it's, hey, these th- th- that's yeah. the wonderful part of these. Uh, in goal, Jack, in goal, no one would ever debate Grant Fuhr. Uh, Curtis Joe, it's funny. Uh, Bill Ranford wins the Conn Smythe in 1990. Fuhrer was the goaltender in 88, 89, and 91. Ranford again in the 92 playoffs. So he had two playoff runs. It's tough to argue with the two playoff runs, even though he played less games, because 
in terms of with Curtis Joseph and what he accomplished. I, I still would pick Ranford, I think, over Joseph, but it's really close for me. Bob, I'm surprised even now maybe I didn't hear at all your show, but the other guy, I mean, I think you got to consider, at least in this conversation, is Andy Moak. I mean, he won some huge games for the Oilers. And because he was able to play enough, you always got your best. You know, in in the postseason. So even in the postseasons where Moog, you know, wasn't racking up win after win. You know, so I mean, again, I, I definitely wanted to get Andy Moog into the conversation. I think ultimately uh, they got it right, but you know, again, it's it speaks to what the Oilers did uh, between 1981 and 1992 that you're talking about. I mean, think about it, Bob. That's only 12 years. And we're talking about four goalies who all have a claim to the top two spots. That's a lot of goalies for a 12-year period to be on that kind of level. Someone brought up a defenseman today that should merit consideration and possibly sort of opposite. You know, Lee Fogelin, if you know Lee, great guy, uh, very understated personality. Craig Muni and, and Lee Fogelin basically split playing with Kevin Lowe. And someone said, what about Jason Smith in that shutdown role? Because he was paired with Chris Pronger in the 06 playoffs, and he was a captain for the team. And I think that's a, I think that's a fair argument to make, Jack. Well, and especially, Bob, if you go back to guys that really the city took in, too. I, I think whenever you're putting together an all-time team, you know, that merits some some consideration, and that's why Smith and Wade, I mean, those are guys, you know, and I mean Ryan Smith, but also Jason Smith. Yeah. He... Again, Bob, you lived here during that time. I don't want to start speaking too, you know, generally because I wasn't here. But Jason Smith is probably the third guy on that list. I mean, people love that guy. They love the Gator. I mean, I, you know, so, again, I, I definitely think he's in the mix. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Some of the comments, uh, you know, today, both on your text line and, you know, in terms of, well, you, you know, let's just go ahead and take Kevin Lowe out there. Oh, you mean, you mean the guy who was a seven-time All-Star? I mean, I, you know, people, it's it's that recency bias, and I understand the 2016, um, you know, captivated the city. Again, I didn't live here, but I understand there's a lot of heroes from that club, and and I certainly have heard it in your voice when you speak of Horkoff and Hemsky in yep. particular and Jarrett Stoll. Uh, Jason Smith deserves to be in that conversation. But, again, I think it's testament to what, you know, those Oilers did. It, it is a it is a, more of an homage to the glory years than some of the other seven Canadian teams that you'll see. But I think you've just answered your own question. Five cups in seven years, it's hard to argue. Jack, we'll hook up next Friday. Thanks for your time. Bob, take care of yourself. Have a great weekend. 151 in Edmonton. We'll get to this day in Oilers history when we return after I tell you about Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. For a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca where you can uh, order, you can pay, and they uh, deliver it right to your house. Royal Pizza with the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. This is Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, what can we tell you here? Well, we can tell you this. 
Brent Ridge Ford and Wetaskiwin, where cars cost less, is focused on your health and peace of mind. Right now, they're offering special discounts to those battling COVID-19 pandemic on the front lines, including Canadian Forces personnel, first responders, professional health care workers, pharmacists, and pharmacy techs. Find out more about how Brent Ridge Ford is built to lend a hand by calling 1-877-477-3673 or visit brentridge.com. Two this day in Oilers history. I love this day. This is one of my favorite days in Oilers history. 2006. Take us there, Brendan. All right. Fernando Pisani scored twice, and Alish Hemsky did the same in the final four minutes of Game 6 against the Detroit Red Wings, pushing the Oilers past Detroit 4-3 and earning them a 4-2 series win in the opening round. So the Oilers advanced past this Wings team who had four Hall of Famers. They met Carolina in their first Cup Final since 1990. Uh, here's one for you, okay? So... Brendan, that day on another show at another time in another place, maybe Bob Stoffer and Mark Spector were having a little bit conversation on what was going to happen in Game 6. And I, I, I've told the story before. There were two Edmonton media members that picked the Oilers to beat the Red Wings that year, Robin Brownlee and myself. And I had picked the Oilers to lose uh, back in 2003 on uh, Total uh, Sports at that time. I said the Oilers would lose that series to Dallas, and they did. But I took Edmonton to beat Detroit in six. I thought the Oilers were all wrong for the Red Wings. And I remember before uh, game six that year, I had said that I got a good feeling about Hemsky. It was 2 nothing for Detroit after two, and I went walking by a couple of ink-stained wretches, and one of them chirped at me, you and your Hemsky. And then post-game, after Pisani had scored twice and Hemsky had scored twice, that said media member, who was never a very big fan of Alish Hemsky's, was downstairs with his uh, notebook in Alish Hemsky's face. And I just walked by him and started laughing like it was too funny. So uh, I had a lot of time for Alish Hemsky. He uh, didn't always, you know... He, he didn't practice the longest, and that got used against him at times by some people. He saved it and brought it for games. He attacked the net with the puck, and I'm not surprised that he was capable of elevating. Even the, you know going back to game one against Carolina, take a look at the caliber of goal that Hemsky scored in that goal game. He was a special, special player. Pisani, it was a wonderful story. It was incredible. 14 goals in that playoff year, but uh, it was it was great watching Edmonton close Detroit out. They were a way better team on paper. I, I talked to somebody that was with that organization last night about things, and, I, and he said to me, and I quote, Bob, by the time they got Rollison, there wasn't a 25-point difference in the separation between the teams. It was much closer. And uh, Chris Pronger's performance in Game 5, Alex Hemsky in Game 6. I'll always remember that. Awesome stuff. Uh, coming up tonight, Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins, 7-8. to eight. He will have Dave Campbell on, Eskimos uh, color analyst, to recap the draft. You'll hear from Murray McCourt from the Ranch Golf and Country Club and Sherwood Park Crusaders defenseman Michael Benning as well. We only uh, scheduled him twice. and had. If we want to have a press conference, we just have to schedule Michael Benning because we had two this week occur when we had him slotted. Uh, the Global News hours from 6 to 7, Inside Sports from 7 to 8. Monday, uh, Drew Remenda. Oilers uh, television color analyst will join us. Always with some interesting perspectives on things. John Shannon, our NHL insider. Special thanks again to uh, Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner, along 
with Elliot Friedman and Jack Michaels. Up next, a global news, weather, and traffic update, followed by the uh, 6.30 Chet Afternoons with Jayla and I. Geez, I wonder after this morning what she's possibly going to be talking about. Uh, it suggests the proactive move made by uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, who I don't always agree with. But uh, anyhow, I have a feeling uh, on this one, I kind of get it. You know why? Because uh, thoughts and prayers ain't getting it done. Uh, Jayla and I coming up on 630 Chet. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.